we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? We need to make it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. Hi, you're listening to Right From Karen. My name's Karen. This podcast is about a little bit of everything. My life, my writing, book reviews, politics, and religion. Grab a cup of coffee and get comfortable. I have a lot to say about nothing. Hello, welcome back. Today is April 3rd. It is 9.30 in the evening, and this is episode number 21 of Right From Karen, the podcast version. Welcome. How was your week? How are you? How are you doing during these crazy times? Easter is tomorrow. Can you guys believe it's already April? We are almost one quarter of the way through the year. It's going to be Christmas before you know it. You're going to blink and Christmas is going to be here. What the heck? (laughs) Time goes by too scary fast. Am I right? So the opening line is from an article on Real Clear Politics entitled Dr. Leanna Wynn, Make It Clear to People That the Vaccine Is Their Ticket Back to Pre-Pandemic Life and Freedom. This is an interview that Dr. Wynn had with Chris Cuomo on CNN back on March 10th. Now this just came on my radar today, as a matter of fact, and it was via Twitter. So I'm wondering, did they, did CNN take this down? Was it too much? Was it too honest for people? Is that why CNN took it down and we're just now learning about it? Maybe it's me. Maybe I just, it didn't come up on my radar. uh, And during the month that it's been up already, almost a month. So it does make me wonder if maybe CNN took it down and then suddenly it's resurfaced. And someone posted it on Twitter, which got my attention. I actually downloaded the video on my 4K downloader program. This is not sponsored, by the way, but it's a great program. It's called 4K Video Downloader. And it enables you to download videos from YouTube that you think will possibly be taken down sometime soon. And it's actually happened. I do have a couple of videos I downloaded that no longer exist on YouTube because, you know, YouTube likes to censor people, free speech and all. Um, So anyway, so if you're interested, I would look into that program and start downloading some of these videos that mysteriously disappear. Again, not sponsored, just a really good program I like to use uh, from time to time. So back to the article. So this interview with Chris Cuomo is... I mean, my mouth dropped when I saw this video. And honestly, props to Dr. Wynn for being honest. I mean, it's a little refreshing to actually see someone talk about the agenda so openly and so honestly. Um, But it's alarming and disturbing because this just validates all of us out there that are suspicious of anything the government tells us, especially when they're trying to tell us it's for our good, yada, yada, yada. So 
Back to the article. During a March 10th appearance on CNN, former Baltimore Health Commissioner Dr. Leanna Wynn discussed how to overcome vaccine hesitancy among the population. We have a very, very narrow window to the tie to tie reopening policy to vaccination status, she said, because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? We need to make it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. So that's why I think the CDC and Biden administration needs to come up a lot, needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you are vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms you have, she said, which is ironic because (laughs) you can have your freedoms, but only if you do as well, we say. Only if you get this vaccine can you have your freedom. So is it really freedom? Is it? Uh, Let's see. Dr. Leanna Wynn. My main concern is that we're not going to reach herd immunity because of vaccine hesitancy. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to believe who desperately want the vaccine right now. And they're thinking, oh, it's just a small percentage of people who are actually anti-vaxxers. And that's true. There's the anti-science, anti-vaxxer contingent. But there are many more people, millions of people who, for whatever reason, have concerns about the vaccine, who just don't know what's in it for them. And we need to make it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. And the window to do that is really narrowing. You were mentioning about how all these states are reopening. They're reopening at 100%. And we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you are vaccinated, you can do all these things. How are all these free? Here are all these freedoms you have. Because otherwise, people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway. And I fear a situation of coming into the fall where we never reach herd immunity and then we get hit by the next surge of COVID-19 in the fall. Something we could have prevented if we just got people vaccinated now. That's the full speech of Dr. Wynn's interview with Chris Cuomo. And it bears repeating several times because I hope that's sinking into your brains, (laughs) that the government, again, I don't know how many times I have to say this, they don't care about you. They don't care about your family. They don't care about anything other than controlling you and squeezing you for every last dollar they can get out of you. That's all they care about. That's all they care about. And what's really crazy is when you watch this interview with Chris Cuomo. I always feel like I have a speech impediment when I say his name, Chris Cuomo. Um, his face, his facial expression is so bizarre. It looks horrified and shocked and surprised all at once that she's actually saying what they all know, but never say and try to cover up, desperately try to cover up. And he's just like, it's almost like when you're with a friend and you're nervous and you're spouting off, spouting off all this stuff and you're being a little too honest in a conversation or you're revealing something about your friend that you that, that she didn't want anybody to know. And she's giving you th- that look like, oh my gosh, would you please shut up? I don't want that person to know this. 
it's kind of like one of those facial expressions. Like he's just like, would you please stop being so honest with people right now? Because that may be what we're doing, but I don't want them to know about it. So anyway, yeah, that's a real thing, guys. I'll link that in the show notes so you can see for yourself and watch the video on realclearpolitics.com. Uh, speaking of the virus, because I <laughs> I can't speak of anything other than the virus, it consumes me every day of my life. Again, because I work in the medical field and I'm living it every day, I just, I feel like I have one foot in each world. I feel like we are living in backwards world. I feel like up is down, down is up. Men are women, women are men. <laughs> Babies can can figure out what gender they are. It's just everything is so ass backwards right now. You just you just don't know what is happening, what is right, what is wrong, what's the truth, all that good stuff. And um, there was something that came out again today that maybe kind of snicker. Well, okay, I snickered a lot. I'll just be honest. Because if you remember back in the early days of the virus scare, they were thinking that, like, you know, a couple of these medications were very effective in treating early symptoms of the virus, vitamin D, zinc, um, those kinds of things were also proving to be helpful if you could catch the the virus in the early stages. And... um, you know how they're telling everybody to wear a mask, stay home, don't go outside, don't socialize, don't do anything like that. Well, now there's a new article that came out April 2nd on sciencealert.com that says sunlight inactivates coronavirus eight times faster than predicted, and we need to know why. <laughs> oh my gosh, what? You mean the sun, that big, hot, round ball in the sky could actually be good for us? What? How is that possible? And that's always been kind of a theory, so to speak, of me and Kevin over the years, like, you know, how everybody, um, you know, osteoporosis is on the rise people are vitamin deficient earlier than they should be. Um, Everybody that goes outside slathers all this sunblock on with, you know, that contains who knows what and is being absorbed by your skin. Not sure if that's the better alternative. But you know, everything in moderation, anything of too much is not good. So of course, if you're outside for too long, you get burnt to a crisp. That is not good for your skin. Don't do that. But a little bit of sun is actually really good for you. And this article kind of proves it. And it's definitely good for the coronavirus, specifically. A team of scientists is calling for greater research into how sunlight inactivates SARS-CoV-2 after realizing there's a glaring discrepancy between the most recent theory and experimental results. UC Santa Barbara mechanical engineer, Paolo Lozario Figuez, sorry, I'm sure I slaughtered that name, and colleagues noticed the virus was inactivated as much as eight times faster in experiments than the most recent 
theoretical model predicted. The theory assumes that inactivation works by having UVB hit the RNA of the virus, damaging it. But the discrepancies suggest that there's something more going on than that, and figuring out what this is may be helpful for managing the virus. UV light, or the ultraviolet part of the spectrum, is easily absorbed by certain nucleic acid bases in DNA and RNA, which can cause them to bond in ways that are hard to fix. But not all UV light is the same. Longer UV waves, called UVA, don't have quite enough energy to cause problems. It's the mid-range UVB waves in sunlight that are primarily responsible for killing microbes and putting our own cells at risk of sun damage. Shortwave UVC radiation has been shown to be effective against viruses such as SARS-CoV-2 even while it's still safely enveloped in human fluids. But this type of UV doesn't necessarily come into contact with Earth's surface, thanks to the ozone layer. UVC is great for hospitals, said co-author and Oregon State University toxicologist Julie McMurray. But in other environments, for instance kitchens or subways, UVC would interact with the particulates to produce harmful ozone. In July 2020, an experimental study tested the effects of UV light on SARS-CoV-2 in simulated saliva. They recorded the virus was inactivated when exposed to simulated sunlight for between 10 to 20 minutes. Natural sunlight may be effective as a disinfectant for contaminated non-porous materials, Wood and colleagues concluded in the paper. Legazio Figuez and team compared those results with a theory about how sunlight achieves this, which was published just a month later and saw the math didn't add up. The study found the SARS-CoV-2 virus was three times more sensitive to the UV in sunlight than influenza A, with 90% of the coronavirus's particles being inactivated after just half an hour of exposure to midday sunlight in summer. By comparison, in winter light, infectious particles could remain intact for days. Environmental calculations made by a separate team of researchers concluded the virus's RNA molecules are being photochemically damaged directly by light rays. This is more powerfully achieved by shorter wavelengths of light like UVC and UVB. As UVC doesn't reach Earth's surface, they base their environmental light exposure calculations on the medium wave UVB part of the UV spectrum. And it goes on a little bit about it, but in essence, they're figuring out that certain rays of sunlight is very effective in basically shrinking the virus and either killing it or making it so, it's making it a lot less powerful. So, Um, either the person doesn't get sick or they're not as sick. So remember that go outside, get some fresh air, get a little sunlight and it sounds like it's good for you. So I thought that was pretty interesting, especially in light of the fact that the sun has gotten such a bad rep over these past several years and uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of like with any disease, some people are just more susceptible 
to catching the disease or contracting something than other people. And it's a gamble. You don't know. It's Russian roulette. You don't know how much is too much. Um, but nothing at all sounds like it's more damaging than some than just a little bit. This by no means means that I am encouraging you to go out into the sun and get burned <laughs> or to stay outside all day long with no sunscreen or protection. <clears throat> but it's definitely something to think about in the future. And again, <clears throat> it just kind of goes to show how science is not necessarily the end answer. That science by definition is a bunch of people sitting around and coming up with theories about what is and isn't a fact. And they're constantly questioning and running new theories and new information through these models to find out, you know, if it is in fact a fact. They're testing and retesting before they finally come up with the final answer. <clears throat> so to me, this makes perfect sense. Because I've always thought it weird that we were always told, you know, by all means, do not go out in the sun. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, God put that sun in the sun in the sky for a reason. And um, that's just a great way to get some vitamin D, which is very important in so many respects to your body and to your health. So just some food for thought, just something to think about. Again, moderation is key. Not too much, but a little goes a long ways. Um, <clears throat> speaking of the experimental injectable, because I really hesitate to call it a vaccine at this point in time. Um, some man here took the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, and his skin peeled off four days after receiving the vaccine. And there's pictures of it on the TatumReport.com. Pretty gruesome stuff. <clears throat> um, President Joe Biden has been discussing the implementation of vaccine passports requiring Americans to prove they have been vaccinated for COVID-19 to gain entry into certain areas. One man's adverse reaction to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, however, proves tangible evidence as to why that's a bad idea. Richard Terrell, 74, of Goochland County, Virginia, received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine on March 6th, WRIC-TV reported. Four days later, he started to feel a bit off. I began to feel a little discomfort in my armpit, and then a few days later I began to get an itchy rash, and then after that, I began to swell and my skin turned red, he said. His condition continued to worsen and he was admitted to the emergency room on March 19th after consulting with a dermatologist. It was stinging, burning and itching, Terrell said. Whenever I bit my arms or legs, like the inside of my knee, it was very painful where the skin was swollen and it was rubbing against itself. <clears throat> By the time he was admitted, the rash had spread over his entire body and his skin was so dry and red, it could be peeled off. Dr. Fanu Nutan, a dermatology hospitalist at VCU Health, explained that a biopsy confirmed Terrell's condition was a reaction to a drug. 
We ruled out all the viral infections. We ruled out COVID-19 itself. We made sure that his kidneys and liver was okay. And finally, we came to the conclusion that it was the vaccine that he had received that was the cause, Nutan said. The doctor added that the reaction could have been life-threatening if it had not been treated. This is not to say that all Americans should avoid the vaccine. Dr. Natan herself said that a reaction like Terrell's was very rare and that she still trusts the vaccine. If you look at the risk for adverse reaction for the vaccine, it's really, really low, she told WRIC-TV. We haven't seen a great concern at all. I'm a big proponent of the vaccine. That said, Terrell's story is certainly a clear example of a reason that Americans should be able to choose whether or not they receive the COVID-19 vaccine, i.e. injectable, experimental injectable. That's what I call it. The whole idea of a free society is that citizens can make risk assessments for themselves and act accordingly. If Americans decide that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks, they should get it. If not, they should be free to reject it. By creating vaccine passports, the Biden administration would effectively take away that freedom. However, that has not stopped the administration from pushing for them. The Biden administration is working on creating a set of standards for people to prove they've been vaccinated against COVID-19, according to an administration official, CNN reported. The official said they're currently working with a range of companies on the standards, including nonprofits and tech companies, adding that they will likely still they are still likely weeks away from being finalized, the official said. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki tried to downplay this draconian effort by assuring reporters on Monday that there would be no federal mandate requiring every American to obtain a vaccination credential. Federal mandate or not, encouraging businesses to determine whether or not their employees and or customers have been vaccinated is a clear overreach. CNN even said the effort could affect the workforce, meaning Americans may be barred from working for certain companies if they do not agree to get vaccinated. While Terrell's reaction is a rare one, it demonstrates that there are still risks to getting the COVID-19 vaccine. For that reason, each American must be allowed to choose whether or not they receive the vaccine without fear of repercussions. So, yes, it is a rare reaction. Thankfully, there are not others out there, at least that we know of. But how do we know that? With all of these B, these all these B, all these big tech companies censoring what gets out to people. There's no telling what's out there that we don't know about because these big tech companies squash the information from getting out. And that's precisely my point when it comes to the vaccine, when it comes to this experimental injectable. We don't know. It's so early in this process. We don't know the repercussions of this chemical that they're injecting into our bodies. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I say, if you know, get a vaccine against these serious diseases, we don't want to spread them. We don't want to get them. Of course, that makes sense. If, if you come up with a vaccine against a disease that has a very high mortality rate, 
then by all means, get the vaccine. Makes sense. But to try to push an an experimental injectable on people for a disease that has such a high percentage of recovery makes zero sense to me at this point in time. And then I saw Dr. Fauci. God bless that man. Come out and say that it's probably going to be advisable for everyone to get a yearly COVID-19 vaccine. Like they try so hard to push the flu vaccination every year and which I have to get every year because that is a requirement for my employment. True, I don't have to work there. I can move on and do something else. It's the company's requirement. If you want to work there, you have to get the vaccine. I've come to terms with that. I don't like it at all, but it's something that I'm willing to do for now to protect my family because my family is on my insurance and, you know, I, I need to work for money. So I continue to work there. However, now that our kids are over 26, they're no longer on my insurance. It's just me and Kevin now. I don't feel as beholden to stay with the company, especially if they mandate the experimental injectable. I am fully prepared to walk away and get something else if that's the case. But I'm hoping that they will not be able to do this or any other employer out there for several years because I'm hoping that once we get out of this emergency status, which I do question because the vaccine, the, the disease is pretty much under control now. They won't tell you that, but it is. Numbers have gone down. The, the curve is not only flattened, it's gone. Um, <clears throat> and there are medications out there that have been proven effective, not just medications, but supplements as well, like sunlight, <laughs> that have been proven to um, help get rid of the virus. But I'm hoping that once it goes through its proper channels, through the FDA, its trials, all the things they do to have an FDA stamp of approval for the vaccine to actually be a vaccine and not an experimental injectable, perhaps at that point in time, I will consider it. But I'm hoping that takes years to get to that point. So we'll see. For now, I'm just, I'm being flexible, taking it week by week, month by month. So we'll see. But to mandate that every single person in the country has to have a vaccine passport in order to live their life is unacceptable. It is not up to the government whether someone does this. They are blackmailing the citizens of America into doing what they say or else. Now, I kind of get this if you're going to travel across, like, you know, across the ocean or whatever, outside the country. I kind of get that, okay, because you don't know what you're going into. You don't know what you're going to get when you're over there. 
I kind of get that part. But within the country, you can't go to a store and buy groceries without the vaccine passport. That is draconian at, at its best. You cannot live your life unless you do what we say. So this vaccine passport, how is that any different than the mark of the beast? Just because I don't have a 666 stamped on my body somewhere? This is exactly the same premise. I cannot do what I want to do unless I show my papers. If that doesn't bother you or alarm you, it should. Because again, you have to look at the intention. What is the intention of the government asking you to do this? Again, if this was a disease that was deadly, people were dropping like flies. The percentage of recovery was very low. I get it. I do. But it's nothing like that. So why are they pushing it so hard? That's my question. And that alone, along with this doctor's win statement, makes me step back, stop, ask questions. You answer my questions, I'll think about it. But we're not even giving that. They don't want you asking questions. Anytime you even bring it up, you're censored. So, no thank you. I am not getting the vaccine anytime soon. It's not even a vaccine. It's an experimental injectable. And I'm not going to be the government's guinea pig. I'm just not. And you do what you want. You do you, boo. You want to get it, then you get it. That's your right. That's your freedom of choice. You do it. But do not take my freedom of choice away from me. Because that makes me all the more suspicious as to why you feel like you have to go down this road. If it's truly that great, then why the pressure? I don't understand why people don't question that. I mean, I get why people are so desperate to get back to normal. I get it, dude, I get it. It's been over a year. We just want it to go away. I get that. But when you've got a government who has proven time and time again over decades of ruling that they are not to be trusted under any circumstances, that's enough to make me go, hmm. So, no thank you. Um... Let's see, is there anything else about the vaccine that I was going to talk about this week? Um, I saw some pretty disturbing videos. For instance, I want to say it was not in America. It was uh, another country. Uh, I don't know if it was England. I'm sorry, I don't know. But I saw a video of the police raiding a Catholic church. People had gathered for Easter service and the police came in and said, you have to go home right now. You're breaking the law. 
You're not supposed to gather. I know you all want to be here, but you can't. You need to go home. And then another country, Belgium, I believe, where there were a, a bunch of people out in the park enjoying the sunshine and the fresh air, celebrating, having a good time, trying to live their life. And the police came storming through there on the horses, trampling people, causing complete chaos, um, using all kinds of like tear gas and other things to basically cause mass, mass chaos. People were running everywhere, screaming. It just looks so draconian. It's just so disturbing that we have allowed ourselves to get this worked up over something. We have to stop this madness. But how? I was watching uh, Candace Owens, which if you have not watched her, you have to watch her. She is phenomenal. Love that woman. She gets asked that question a lot. Candace, what do we do? How can we stop this? And she says, the silent majority has to stop being silent. They have to start standing up and saying, no, I refuse to participate in this madness. And if that means hiring lawyers and filing lawsuits, so be it. Um, let me give you an example of that. Professor who refused to call trans student by preferred pronoun speaks out after winning court case. A college professor who won a court case over the use of preferred gender pronouns is warning that unless others fight back, free speech in America faces grave peril. The case dates back to 2018 when Nicholas Merriweather, a philosophy professor at Shawnee State University in Ohio, called a trans woman, sir. Merriweather said it happened by accident. The student threatened to have Merriweather fired if not called Miss, touching off rounds of contention within the college. Merriweather would not bend and call the student by his last name rather than by any gender pronoun, as he did with other students, according to Inside Higher Ed. A U.S. District Court ruled that against Merriweather, who appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. The appellate court sided with Merriweather. In an interview with Fox News host Tucker Carlson, Merriweather said the freedom to disagree is in jeopardy across America. Carlson asked Merriweather why he fought back. Well, basically, if I had not sued, I would have been fired. I would have been terminated. That was one reason. It wasn't the only reason. The other reason was, as you say, as you just said, I think we need to stand up against it. And I do think that we are losing our academic freedom. We're losing our freedom to disagree. And unless and until people stand up to it, I think it's just going to get much, much worse, much, much faster, he said. Attorney Kristen Wagner of the Alliance Defending Freedom said the case was successful both on the grounds of free speech and free exercise of religion. We won on both free speech and free exercise grounds, and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals said very clearly that the use of titles and pronouns is a part of a debate that this nation is engaging in right now, and that those terms are infused with great meaning. That is not that it is not the government's role to set the terms of that debate or to weigh in on one side or the other, she said. In fact, 
the court's decision actually referenced what would happen if the government demanded ideological purity. It used examples like the government could then force a pacifist, for example, to have to support war. It could force a civil rights icon to criticize the freedom writers or to even force a Christian to deny the existence of God. Those are examples that the Sixth Circuit itself recognized, and it basically said, if the government has that kind of power, it can essentially do almost anything at once. That power is unlimited, she said. Writing the unanimous three-judge opinion, Circuit Judge Emil Thapar wrote that, Traditionally, American universities have been beacons of intellectual diversity and academic freedom. They have prided themselves on being forums where controversial ideas are discussed and debated, and they have tried not to stifle debate by picking sides. But Shawnee State chose a different route. It punished a professor for his speech on a hotly contested issue, and it did so despite the constitutional protections afforded by the First Amendment. The district court dismissed the professor's free speech and free exercise claims, We see things differently and reverse, he said. If professors lacked free speech protections when teaching, a university would wield alarming power to compel ideological conformity. A university president could require a pacifist to declare that war is just, a civil rights icon to condemn the freedom writers, a believer to deny the existence of God, or Soviet MRA to address his students as comrades, the par wrote. By forbidding Merriweather from describing his views on gender identity, even in his syllabus, Shawnee State silenced a viewpoint that could have catalyzed a robust and insightful in-class discussion. Never before have titles and pronouns been scrutinized as closely as they are today for their power to validate or invalidate someone's perceived sex or gender identity. Meriwether took a side in that debate. Through his continued refusal to address Doe as a woman, he advanced a viewpoint on gender identity, he wrote. So that is just one example of what we must do to fight back against this craziness. Now I realize not everybody can afford a lawyer. I can't afford a lawyer, but I can speak up and stand up and say, no, I'm not doing this. And you can't make me. As long as freedom of speech still exists in this country, we have that protection. And I think that we have gone for too long, just, just going along to get along. And when does it stop? When does this craziness stop? When we make it stop. So that's what we can do. We can start standing up and saying, no, I'm not doing this anymore. This is crazy. You can't even talk about the issues without being labeled something. It's time to stop being so conforming. All right, I'm sick to death of talking about this. Let's move on to something else. The book review of the week. So I'll make this quick because I'm running long on time. I got a little little worked up there. Uh, The book I read this past week was The Last of the Moon Girls by Barbara Davis. Uh, Prologue. 
Lizzie Moon never wanted Moon Girl Farm. Eight years ago, she left the land that nine generations of gifted healers had tended, determined to distance herself from the whispers about her family's strange legacy. But when her beloved grandmother, Athea, dies, Lizzie must return and face the tragedy, still hanging over the farm's withered lavender fields, the unsolved murders of two young girls, and the cruel accusations that followed Athea to her grave. Lizzie wants nothing more than to sell the farm and return to her life in New York until she discovers a journal Athea left for her, a book of remembrances meant to help Lizzie embrace her own special gifts. When she reconnects with Andrew Grayson, one of the few in town who believed in Athea's innocence, she resolves to clear her grandmother's name. But to do so, she'll have to decide if she can accept her legacy and whether to follow in the footsteps of all the moon women who came before her. This is the prologue. A body that's been submerged in water undergoes a different kind of decompensation, harsher in some ways, kinder in others, or so I've been told. We moons wouldn't know about that. We choose fire when our time comes and scatter our ashes on land that has been in our family for more than two centuries. Mine are there now too, mingled with the dust of my ancestors. Can it really be only weeks that I've been gone? Weeks hovering between worlds, unable to stay, unwilling to go, tethered by regret and unfinished business. The separation feels longer somehow, but it's not my death I dwell on today, but the deaths of two young girls, Darcy and Heather Gilman, more than eight years ago now. They'd been missing nearly three weeks when their bodies were finally pulled from the water. It was a ghastly thing to watch, but watch it I did. They were dragging my pond, you see, convinced they would find what they were looking for. And why not, when the whole town was looking in my direction? Because of who I was, and what I was, or at least what they imagined me to be. Memory, it seems, does not die along with the body. It's been years since that terrible day at the pond, and, it, and yet I remember every detail, replaying them again and again, an endless, merciless loop. The police chief and his waiters, his men with their boat, the Emmy's van looming nearby, its back doors yawning wide in anticipation of new cargo. The bone-white face of a mother waiting to learn the fate of her girls. Whispers hissing through the crowd like electric current, and then the telling shrill of a whistle. A hush settles over us, the kind that carries a weight of its own, the weight of the dead. No one moves as the first body appears, the glimpse of an arm in a muddy brown coat, water pouring from the sleeve as the sodden form is dragged up onto the bank. A bloated, blackened face, partly obscured by hanks of sopping dark hair. They're careful with her, handling her with a tenderness that's gruesome somehow and agonizing to watch. They're preserving the evidence, I realize, and a cold lick goes down my spine so they can make their case against me. A short time later, a second body appears, and there comes a broken wall, a wail, a mother's heart breaking for her darlings. And that's how it all unraveled, the awful day that set up all the rest, the end of the farm, and perhaps the end of the moons.
So the Moon Girls are a generation of women with special gifts. One has the gift of seeing the future. One has a gift of herbal concoctions, making all of these herbal medicines that heal people. Uh, one has the gift of smell. Um, and they are known in the city, in the town, as witches. Uh, whether they really are or not, I don't know. They kind of think of themselves as witches. Uh, they don't have any supernatural powers. They're more intuitive. And um, um, they're, just, they're, no, they're just different. They're just different. And they don't have any men in the family. Generations ago, a woman fell in love with a man, got pregnant, and then he left her which so embittered her that she passed down generation from generation. You know, the moon girls didn't get married. They got pregnant. They always had girls to, to carry on the tradition. Um, but when it came to Lizzie, who was the last of the moon girls, because she had no intentions of getting pregnant, having any children, getting married, anything like that. And so, so she's just, you know, um, resigned to the fact that she will be the last of the moon girls, the tradition, the name will die with her. But she's been so ostracized throughout her childhood because of her grandmother's uh, reputation as potentially killing these girls, even though no proof was ever found, it was just assumed because the girls were found on her property. And because Lizzie's mom was kind of a hippie, and she basically abandoned her and leaving her to grow up with her grandmother. They have a reputation in town as being troublemakers and all that stuff. And Lizzie was made fun of and bullied and that kind of thing growing up. So her number one thing was to go away, to get to grow up and move away and start fresh and do something that she wanted to do. So that's what she did. But then her grandmother died. So she had to come home and start you know, figuring out what to do with the property. And there she reconnects with people from her hometown. She meets her grandmother's friend, um, who is very wise and very supporting and has some unusual gifts of her own. So she understands the moons and, you know, their, their powers, so to speak. And she also runs into her old well, she runs into a man, her neighbor, that she had always kind of sort of been in love with. And they reconnect on so many levels. And so it's a story of her coming home, dealing with her past, dealing with her family secrets, as well as dealing with this black shadow over her family because of people thinking that her grandmother killed these two girls. So she's on a mission to clear her grandmother's name. And it's a mystery of sorts. Miss um, Davis does a really good job of kind of weaving this, this, you know, um, not coming of age story, but just, you know, she's going back home and she's facing her past. She has all of those obstacles and emotions. And then she's dealing with this mystery, trying to figure out who killed these girls. And as she gets closer to the truth, um, she starts putting herself and her family in danger and she falls in love with this this guy, her neighbor. 
And it's just a really, it's a good story. I gave it four stars out of five. Um, it's not great. It's not bad. It was interesting, a little slow moving. It's more of a literary fiction mystery, if that makes sense. Um, I would recommend it if you're wanting to read something a little, mm, I don't want to say bland, but just mild. It might be a better way of putting it. It's a good book to kind of cleanse your palate, especially if you read a lot of thrillers and mysteries like I do, which can be pretty, pretty gruesome <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, so it's kind of a good book to cleanse your palate on if you want to. So anyway, The Last of the Moon Girls by Barbara Davis. Look it up. Pretty good. Not a bad read. So wrapping this up here, how was your week? Do you have any big plans for Easter? We are, we are doing what I really hate doing. I'm not going to lie. We're seeing both families on the same day. This is my fault. I should have planned on or asked my mom and dad if they would be okay getting together today as opposed to tomorrow, but I didn't. So we are planning on going over to my parents' house tomorrow about 11-ish. We're going to take some Kentucky Fried Chicken and we're going to visit with them for a while. I haven't seen very much of them because of the whole COVID fiasco, chaos, stupidity. So I'm looking forward to seeing them and chit-chatting, catching up. And then about two o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to head over to his folks and chit chat with his family for a while and probably have more food. <laughs> um, side note, I'm still fasting, by the way, I've been doing it for about 18 months. I'm very proud of myself. Every Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday, I don't eat anything for 24 hours. And tomorrow, Easter is fasting day. <laughs> so I'm going to try to remain strong and not eat anything. And uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> It gets awkward when you're at family gatherings and you're doing this kind of thing. You're like, oh, no, thank you. I'm not going to eat. They kind of look at you like it's almost insulting <laughs> in some ways. But um, I'm going to try to stay strong and not eat anything tomorrow. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, it is a holiday, but oh, I've been so good about this that I hate to break my streak, you know, because once you break it, it's just that much harder to get back into it. Um, I could do a better job, by the way, speaking of fasting. I'm thinking about doing OMAD, which is one meal a day. I'm pretty sure I can do it. I, um, I don't know. I'm thinking seriously of doing it. I mean, I pretty much do that now. On, on eating days, they call them feeding days. I always feel like a cow whenever I hear that. It's a feeding day. Moo. <laughs> um. I will drink like a smoothie in the morning and then sometimes have lunch, not always, and then dinner. So I'm pretty sure I could do one meal a day. The thing is, which meal? And that's the beauty of fasting is you can, it's customizable. You can do it whatever you want, whatever works for your particular situation, your family. 
breakfast is not a big deal for me. I can always skip breakfast. I'm never hungry in the mornings. Lunch, meh. Something light, maybe. Uh, dinner, though, I would. I think I would miss not having dinner with my husband. We go out every Friday and Saturday night. And um, I would kind of miss that. But I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Maybe I'll do OMAD at lunch time. That way I can have a chance to work off the calories at night before I go to bed as opposed to having dinner and then they just sit there and go to bed. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I should update you guys. Well, basically, I just I just updated you <laughs> on my fasting journey. I've learned a lot about my body and what works and what doesn't. And I really should do another podcast talking about this more in depth. It's been um, it's been an interesting journey. I don't know that I recommend it. Well, I don't recommend you trying this without talking to your doctor first. I did not do that. And I don't know that I ever put myself in serious risk. But it would have been smarter to talk to a doctor first before jumping into uh, this whole fasting process feet first. So if you're thinking about it, I highly recommend you read about it and get the science behind it and talk to your doctor. And I'll make a note to myself to talk about fasting more in future podcasts. In other news, um, I posted on my blog today in an open invitation to anyone out there who would be interested in joining my Patreon. Yay! Cue excited audience members. Ah, clap, clap, clap. Um, it's on my Write From Karen blog, W-R-I-T-E from Karen.com blog. And I posted it today. And um, no pressure. Just, you know, if you feel so inclined to join my Patreon, uh, it's just kind of a gathering place for like-minded people who like to read and write fiction and who would maybe like to support me and the content that I put out. I think it would be a lot of fun. There are three tiers. Your first tier basically is your key to the door. Um, we can, you know, introduce ourselves, have a little fun, talk about what we like to read and write just have some conversations on the Patreon website. And then if you are on my second and third tiers, you not only get a key to the door, but you also get an invitation to my Discord server. And don't let server scare you. <laughs> For those of you out there that have heard about Discord, but know not a lot about it. It's a great way to really communicate and touch base with each other. Um, it's a, it's a basically a private chat room where we can gather and have a lot of fun and get to know each other, exchange works in progress, maybe edit each other, become each other's beta readers, um, do a book, a book club, talk about the writing, like, kind of like what we do here on this podcast, kind of review a book, talk about the um, things that we liked and disliked about the book and the writing style and techniques, what we can learn from it with, in regards to our own writing. Um, I think it would be fun to host renting sprints and challenges on the Discord server. Um, anything to promote and encourage you to write, I think would be so much fun. 
And a little background for me, I do have a bachelor's of science in technical writing and a minor in creative writing. That is in no way to say that I'm an expert at writing and I will learn along with you. But hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight into why I'm so excited about starting this Patreon group. Um, I used to host a writing site back in the day and I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, But, you know, it just life happens and I wasn't able to continue it. So I thought when I found out about Discord, I thought, oh, this is the perfect venue to hold some, you know, um, chat, chat, I guess, about all things writing. And I myself am um, a patron of some of the creative content people out there that I really enjoy. And I want to support them. And I have a lot of fun on their Patreons. And I just think it would be a lot of fun to start something like this for myself. So don't be shy. Um, You know, join. Let's talk. Introduce yourselves. Let's get to know each other. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And you know, there's no obligation, by the way, to stick around. You can come in, look around. If you don't like it, you can cancel anytime. No hard feelings. Go about your business. Um, Just, you know, if you're curious, take a look around and hopefully you'll stay. So anyway, that's my newest project right now. Um, Having a lot of fun setting it up and testing it and all that. So I hope to see you there. If not in my Patreon, please come by and visit me on my blog. I have comments open for like 10 days after the articles posted if you have any thoughts you want to share anything questions that kind of thing um and then let's see a little update on our trailer for those of you that don't know we bought a cargo trailer that my husband is converting into a camper if you will um long story short we were big cruisers we cruised every year And now that that whole industry is on the verge of imploding, thank you very much, CDC. um, And they're potentially going to require a vaccine passport in order to get on their boats. We are going to pass on that. Thank you very much. And so we would still like to go out and do something, um, you know, as vacation. So we thought about, you know, just camping cross country. Because I've, you know, I've lived here all my life and I haven't really seen a whole lot of the U.S. So we're going to take this advantage of, you know, just building this up and traveling cross country and going some fun places and blogging about it and maybe even vlogging about it. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Um, But anyway, Kevin's been building it from scratch and it's going really well. And I'm going to be posting an update on that this week. I know I think I said I was going to last week, but that didn't work out. And he's really making a lot of progress on it. So I'm excited to show you some pictures about it, (laughs) about it, show you some pictures of it. So you can kind of get a a feel for the layout and what we're thinking. And we're hoping we're shooting for potentially having our, our maiden voyage, if you will, in August, and taking it on a short trip, just as you know, kind of test it out see what kind of improvements we want to make, what works, what doesn't, that kind of thing. So we'll see how it goes. Pretty excited about that. Um, And I think 
that about brings you up to date on my life. So I think I'm going to wrap it up. We're getting close to an hour. I'm sure you're tired. I'm getting tired. It's now 1030. (laughs) Um, I'm starting to go a little cross-eyed from staring at the computer screens all day. So that is a cue to say good night. And so I hope you have a lovely week. I hope you have a fantastic Easter. I hope that you're able to spend it with your family and um, be alert, not anxious as you go about your week and your life. And I will talk to you in the next podcast. Bye now.